scripture reading this afternoon comes from that same psalm, Psalm 119. Boys and girls, you might know this is the uh, longest of all the psalms and all the the chapters in the Bible, and so we're not going to read all of it, but uh, we will read from the uh, beginning, the middle, and the end. First 16 verses, last 16 verses, and 16 verses towards the middle of Psalm 119. Blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with the whole heart. They also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes, then I would not be ashamed when I look into all your commandments. I will praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. I will keep your statutes, O do not forsake me utterly. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your words. With my whole heart I have sought you, O let me not wander from your commandments, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord, and teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself and your statutes, I will not forget your word. Then to verse 89. Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You establish the earth and it abides. They continue this day according to your ordinances for all are your servants. Unless your law had been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me. For I have sought your precepts. The wicked wait for me to destroy me, but I will consider your testimonies. I have seen the consummation of all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep your precepts. I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I may keep your words. I have not departed from your judgments, for you yourself have taught me. How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. And to verse 161, princes persecute me without a cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. Rejoice at your word as one who finds great treasure. I hate and abhor lying, but I love your law. Seven times a day I praise you because of your righteous judgments. Great peace have those who love your law, and nothing causes them to stumble. 
Lord, I hope for your salvation and I do your commandments. My soul keeps your testimonies and I love them exceedingly. I keep your precepts and your testimonies for all my ways are before you. Let my cry come before you, O Lord. Give me understanding according to your word. Let my supplication come before you. Deliver me according to your word. My lips shall utter praise. For you teach me your statutes. My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteous. Let your hand become my help, for I have chosen your precepts. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. Let my soul live, and it shall praise you. And let your judgments help me. I've gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. Then you can turn to page 895 in the back of our Trinity Psalter hymnals where we'll read responsively Lord's Day 49 of the Heidelberg Catechism as it walks us through the meaning of the Lord's Prayer. Lord's Day 49 instructs us with regard to the meaning of the third petition. So we'll read together the answer responsively. Um, congregation, what does the third petition of the Lord's Prayer mean? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means help us and all people to renounce our own wills and without any backtalk to obey your will for it alone is good. Help everyone carry out his office and calling as willingly and faithfully as the angels in heaven. Congregation, it's been a couple of weeks since our last study in the Lord's Prayer, but remind you the the point that we've been making is that Jesus' teaching on prayer in Matthew chapter 6 In Luke chapter 11, those two places where this prayer is recorded, uh, draw from the prayer book of the Old Testament in a a sort of Cliff Notes version of the Psalms teaching for us on prayer. So we've considered Psalm 86 as something of an introduction to what prayer is. We've considered Psalm 103 and the posture of our prayer, Psalm 95. And the prayer that God's name be hallowed, Psalm 72, and thy kingdom come. This afternoon, we consider Psalm 119 and the prayer that God's will would be done. And there's no way that we could do justice to this whole psalm on which entire books have been written, on which a whole series of sermons could be preached. But the main point of this psalm, a delight in the will and word of God and a desire to do it, fits quite well with the third petition, thy will be done. That's ultimately what Christ teaches us to pray in the third petition, that we would be doers of God's will, that we would be those who delight in God's will and are doers of it. And Psalm 119 is very much concerned with the same thing as it shows us the beauty and goodness of God's will, seeking to draw out of us an admiration for that beauty so that the exclamations of the psalmist might become ours as we sing this psalm with the psalmist. 
then it not only shows us the beauty and goodness of God's will, but then also shows us the one who does God's will. Those are the, the two things that we hope to see this afternoon in Psalm 119. We read just a few selections from it, but we'll do kind of an overview of the whole psalm. Two things, the beauty and goodness of God's will and the one who does God's will. So first, it's beauty and goodness. See, in in the catechism question that we read, how question 124 speaks of God's will alone as good. And it cites for us a host of proof texts, among which Psalm 119 is not included, but, but it, it could almost include the whole of Psalm 119 as affirming for us that God's will alone is good. And again, we didn't read the whole psalm, but if you have your Bibles open, which I encourage you to as we do something of a survey of this psalm, I just want to take you on a bit of a, of a tour and see how we, we see the same affirmation in Psalm 119 that we have in Uh, Lord's Day 49, that God's will alone is good. Now, verse 2, right towards the very beginning of the psalm, it it says that the testimonies of the Lord are worth seeking with all of your heart and that the man who does this is blessed. Just a couple verses later, verse 5, the psalmist longs to have his ways directed to keep God's statutes. He is is, uh, affirming that God's will is good, worthy of having his life directed by Verse 7, learning of God's righteous judgments leads to praise. When I learn of your righteous judgments, I will praise you with uprightness of hearts. We see in verse 9 that God's word is a source of, of cleansing, that it keeps one pure. Just a couple verses later, verse 11, that it's worth hiding in your heart. We see in verse 14 that the way of God's testimonies is worth rejoicing in as much as in all riches. Verses 15 and 16, God's precepts and his ways are worthy of meditation and contemplation. Verse 18, he says that in God's law are wondrous things. Verse 20, the psalmist's soul is is breaking with longing for God's judgments. He says in verse 24 that God's judgments, or God's testimonies rather, are his delight and his counselors. He speaks in verse 25 of God's word, reviving the soul. Verse 28, giving strength, something of a means of grace. Verses 31 and 32, God's testimonies and commandments are worth clinging to. They enlarge his heart. Verse 35, they are his delight. In verse 40, he longs for God's precepts. Verse 43 says that God's ordinances are the object of his hope. Verse 47, that he loves God's commandments. Verse 50, he says that God's word has given him life. It is a source of comfort. Verse 52, the subjects of his songs. Verse 54, of which this song is one. In verse 72, he, he says that uh, the law of your mouth is better than, than thousands of coins of gold and silver. For, verse 89, it is settled forever in heaven. Whereas everything on earth passes away, verse 96, I've seen the limit of all that is perfect, but your commandments are exceedingly broad. They're eternal. And so he says in verse 97 that he loves them. He thinks about them all the day. Verse 103, he says they are sweeter than honey to the mouth. One commentator calls these exclamations downright sensual. 
mirroring some of the language of the Song of Songs. He loves God's law. It's beautiful to him. He's, he's thinking about it all the day. He says in verse 105, it's a lamp to his feet and a light to his path. Hope you're, you're getting the idea. God's word alone is good. It is a subject worthy of meditation all the day. It is a source of life reviving the soul. It is a reliable guide. It's good. Your testimonies, verse 129, are wonderful, upright, or your judgments, verse 137, is his testimonies are righteous and faithful, 138, very pure, verse 140. Therefore, your servant loves them. This psalm, in its entirety, is commending to us the word of God. It is commending to us the, the perfections of Scripture, its sufficiency, that it contains the will of God entirely, everything needed for life and doctrine. Belgian Confession, Article 7. That's what we see in verse 9. It says, How shall a young man direct his way by heeding God's words? It is a reliable and sufficient guide. Verse 24, a trustworthy counselor. Verse 105, a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. This speaks of the sufficiency of Scripture as a moral guide. And we also see in this psalm the necessity of Scripture, that we cannot live without it. Is that not the effect of verse 20, that the psalmist's soul is breaking without it because he does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God? Or verse 28, it is that which is needed to strengthen his weariness. Verse 50, it gives life. We see in the psalm the sufficiency of Scripture. We see in it the necessity of Scripture, that we need it. We see also the authority of Scripture. A Belgian Confession, Article 5, speaking of Scripture's authority, says that it regulates, founds, and establishes our faith. And we see that same thing in the very terms that are used throughout this psalm to designate the Word of God. There are, are several different terms that the psalmist uses, uh, statutes. It implies the the binding force and permanence of Scripture. The word law suggests that it must be obeyed. Commandments implies very much the same. The word ordinances that we see several times in this psalm implies the authoritative decisions of an all-wise judge. Each of these terms that are used to designate the word and will of God imply its unrivaled authority. We see the authority of Scripture, the sufficiency of Scripture, the necessity of Scripture. And then the the last of the four perfections of Scripture that theologians speak of, the the, the attributes or perfections of Scripture, is its clarity. That Scripture is not over our heads, but is able to be understood. As the Westminster Confession says, even the unlearned, by ordinary means, may attain to a sufficient understanding of it. We see that in verse 130, where the psalmist says, Your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. Not to the wise, but the simple. God's word is not beyond finding out, it's clear. These are the the perfections of Scripture that we see in Psalm 119. And those perfections, those uh, beautiful attributes of the word of God, lead to the benefits that we see in this psalm. At least three of them 
The first of those is light. Uh, Verse 105 or verse 130, giving wisdom and understanding, teaching us the way to go, shining a light for our path as we give ourselves to the study of it. Word of God gives liberty. Verse 45, he says, I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts, rather than leading to bondage, as skeptics of the Christian faith maintain, or as legalists insist, the word of God rather gives freedom. It gives Christian liberty. And then it also gives life. As the word of God gives light to our path and teaches us the way to go, as it gives freedom and liberty, it also gives life. The psalmist says in in verse 50, your word has given me life. He speaks in verse 25 and verse 28 of of, of the word of God, reviving the soul. It gives joy. It gives life meaning. Uh, The word of God is is life-giving. And people, perhaps you... uh, struggle to desire to study the word of God, perhaps you uh, struggle to desire to uh, give your attention to the preaching of the word, perhaps you have all these other voices in the world competing for your time and attention, and and the word of God just doesn't always seem worth uh, reading, worth studying. Psalm 119 is commending to us the beauty of the word of God. This is why Lord's Day 49 says that God's will alone is good. It's speaking here of his revealed will in the scriptures, the very thing that Psalm 119 extols and says it brings life, light, and liberty because it is clear, authoritative, necessary, and sufficient. Unlike the ever-changing wisdom of the world, this word is eternal. It's stable. Again, I draw your attention to verse 96 where the psalmist compares the word of God to the very best of earthly wisdom. It's a bit clear in the ESV uh, where it says, I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandments, your word, is exceedingly broad. Everything good in the earth that I've seen, all the the, the best things, all perfection, I've I've seen its limits, but your word is exceedingly broad. It has no limits. Psalms commentator Derek Kidner says this verse could could well summarize the, the whole book of Ecclesiastes, where every earthly enterprise has its day and then comes to nothing, but only in God and in his commandments do we get beyond those frustrating limits. The word of God is life-giving, liberating, stable, and lasts forever. Whereas the wisdom of the world is ever-changing. Whereas the wisdom of the world promises freedom, but instead enslaves, promises life, but leads to death. Just think of the the so-called wisdom of, of the sexual revolution that promises life, but leads to chaos that promises joy and meaning by finding your your identity in in something, but ends up leading to chaos, to confusion. Or you think of the, the promises of sin and temptation to which we often succumb that, that make us think that we are going the way of liberty, the way of freedom, but instead those sins bring bondage. They enslave. 
Psalm 119 with Lord's Day 49 is calling us to confess that God's will alone is good and to therefore renounce our own will without any back talk, but obey the Lord's for it alone is good. And that too we see in this psalm, an obedience to the will of God, where the psalmist says in verse 8, that he will keep his statutes, verse 11. He will hide God's word in his heart that he might not sin against him, verse 34. He will keep God's law and observe it with his whole heart. We see a resolve to obey the revealed will of God. We could go on and multiply those sort of, of uh, examples throughout the psalm. We see very clearly a resolve to obey the revealed will of God. And yet at times throughout this psalm, a confidence and resolve that might make us a bit uncomfortable, a bit uneasy. For instance, can we truly sing those words of verse 44? I shall keep your law continually forever and ever. Or verse 101, I have restrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep your word. Verse 102, I have not departed from your judgments. Verse 6, when I look into your commandments, I am not ashamed. Can we really pray those words? Can any of us really say that? In and of ourselves, we can't. That's what we confess every Lord's Day as we read the word, that it is a mirror that we look into and we do feel ashamed because we've not kept it. In and of ourselves, we cannot say those words. We don't praise God with uprightness of heart, verse 7, or keep his statutes, verse 8. None of us has sought him with our whole heart, verse 10, but we have wandered from his commands. Verse 34, we have forgotten his ways and forgotten his word. That's that's what we're doing every time we sin. We have forgotten his words. There is a sense in which only one person... Only one Israelite could ever sing this song in truth. And whoever penned it did so, as we saw last week in Psalm 22, prophetically. I believe this psalm is a psalm of the king, where each of the three Torah psalms that we find throughout the Psalter, Psalm 1, Psalm 19, and Psalm 119, each of those three psalms that are are reflections on the beauty of God's law are paired with royal messianic psalms, Psalm 2, Psalm 18, which we, we sang this morning, and Psalm 118, which we sang just a moment ago. Each of the three Torah psalms, one 19 and 119 are paired with those royal messianic psalms so that the blessed man who truly does this, the blessed man who is delighting in God's law in this way, the blessed man of Psalm 1 to whom we're introduced in Psalm, uh, the beginning of the Psalter is the king of Psalm 2, is the king of Psalm 18, is the king of Psalm 118 of whom David was but a shadow. So we, we've considered the beauty and goodness of God's will, but look at me now at the one who does it, who not only speaks of a desire to obey it, but prays this whole psalm in the context of suffering. In fact, suffering because he has kept God's law. Did you notice that 
that theme throughout those three little sections that we read, this theme of people pursuing and persecuting him because of his obedience to God's law. We see it um, in verse 8 where the psalmist is forced to, to plead with the Lord, do not forsake me utterly. Verse 19, he says, I am a sojourner on earth, princes and kings. Verse 23, they speak against me. In verse 25, he is brought down to the dust, the same dust of death that we heard of last week in Psalm 22, 15. His soul is melting with heaviness. Liars surround him, verse 29. Love this, this psalm is not merely uh, about every man's delight in God's will, but is about the one who supremely did God's will and was hated for it, Christ. Again, do you see how this upends the uh, theology of Job's friends that, that we'll see throughout the book of Job that says, if I do well, then good things will come to me. Now, this psalm is a psalm of the king who will speak of God's testimonies before rulers, verse 46, and yet experience that affliction of verse 50, that derision of the proud the psalmist speaks of in verse 51. And verse 61 those cords of death which will bind him. Does this not make you think of another king? Of another king who will make the good confession before kings but be bound and afflicted because of it. Verse 71, who will learn obedience through suffering, Hebrews 5. And in verse 81, as his soul faints for the salvation of his God, will take the very words of God on his lips. As he cries out in verse 82, when will you comfort me? And it is persecuted. Verse 84, a pit dug for him by the proud in violation of God's law will cry out to God even as they make an end of him on earth and persecute him wrongfully. Verses 86 and 87 will not forsake God's precepts but will entrust himself to the loving kindness of his God. Boys and girls, does that sound like another king in the Bible? Or when you hear verse 99 and verse 100, does this make you think of of the boy Jesus in the temple in Luke chapter 2 when he's just 12 years old? Where it says in these verses, I have more understanding than all my teachers. I understand more than the ancients. Luke 2 even seems to be evoking this passage when Christ says that, or when it says that Christ amazed them with his understanding, using the same word from this psalm as he sat before the teachers. Again, the same word. This psalm speaks of Christ's wisdom and understanding. It speaks of his perfect obedience to God's law, his suffering because of it, his tears that would flow from his eyes because of those who do not keep it. Verse 136. Think of Christ's lament over Jerusalem. In Matthew 23, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, as the king weeps because they do not keep his word, because they do not receive the one in whom that word is embodied. The psalm speaks of his perfect zeal that has consumed him, which, which sounds like Christ as he cleanses the temple in John 2. This psalm is, in many ways, a portrait of the king. The same one of whom we sang in Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected. And so that king of Psalm 118 uh, takes this psalm, 119, on his lips and actively obeys every word of God's law. 
He passively obeys in suffering, unjust persecution, false witnesses, binding and death, becoming that wandering sheep of verse 176, which is not an admission of sin, but as Calvin explains, uh, verse 176, that would be inconsistent with the second clause of the verse where he denies having forgotten God's law. Calvin says it's as if the psalmist says here in this final verse, although I have been chased about by violent enemies and become like a lost sheep, yet I have not forgotten your law. Beloved, Christ is that sheep, that perfect, spotless lamb, holy, harmless, and undefiled, hated because of it, persecuted by princes without cause, verse 161, echoing that messianic psalm, Psalm 69. He perfectly fulfills every line of this psalm, even quoting words like uh, verse 115, depart from me, you evildoers, in Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount. He is the righteous one who keeps God's law continually, experiencing intense global persecution because of it, yet continuing to be faithful in the midst of it. He is the idealized king of Deuteronomy 17 who meditates on God's law. The blessed one to whom we're introduced in Psalm 1, the royal king of Psalm 2 and Psalm 18 and Psalm 118, who now shows us what that perfect king is like in loving and obeying God's law, in renouncing his own will and praying in the garden, not my will, but thine be done, so that he might pay the penalty for your failure and my failure to keep God's law. For your failure and my failure to be able to pray Psalm 119 in truth, for our failure to delight in the word and will of God which gives life. Christ dies for that. As the perfect king who reads God's law all the days of his life that he might learn to fear the Lord, Deuteronomy 17, and be careful to observe all the words of the law and its statutes, yet also the suffering king who will suffer and die for your inability and mine to pray this psalm in truth. In and of yourself, you cannot sing it. But in Christ, Washed by his blood, united to him by faith, and given his alien righteousness, imputed to you, you can. And he gives you his spirit so that his same love for and delight in God's law might be yours. He gives you himself as the word in in whom even this theme of the all-surpassing beauty and goodness of the word is fulfilled in Christ, who is the word. John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. Each of these themes from Psalm 119 of, of the beauty of the Word of God that gives light and gives life lead us to the very person of Christ, who John chapter 5 says is the subject of this entire book, who Luke 24 says is revealed in the law of Moses. Christ says in John 5.39 to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures in vain, thinking that in them you have life, and yet it is they that testify of me. Christ is the one of whom this word speaks. 
This word that Psalm 119 delights in is a Christ-centered word. Christ is the one, Galatians 4, Galatians 3, to whom the law directs us. And as we see his beauty and his goodness unfolded in the word, the aim of the Spirit is that beholding his glory would make us able and desirous of doing what Lord's Day 49 says, keeping God's will as willingly and faithfully as it is in heaven. As we behold the heavenly king, The king, in Psalm 118 and Psalm 68 that we heard earlier, ascends into his heavenly throne. As we behold the heavenly king, the spirit conforms us to his likeness. As we pray this prayer in him and with him, the spirit conforms us to his image. As we delight ourselves in the word and will of God, meditating on it all the day. Humbly sitting under the preaching of the word, daily devouring his word, he will use those means to help us carry out our office and calling as willingly and faithfully as Christ in heaven. Christ in this psalm becomes our example and model. The Christ of heaven who sings this psalm and perfectly keeps God's law, showing us by his life what it is to meditate on God's word all the day, to to grow in wisdom and stature, even as a boy, Luke 2. As this psalm speaks on a few different occasions of rising before dawn and, and crying for help, asking God, teach me your words. Christ shows us that by his example in being one who would rise early to study the word of God and in having a humility before the word of God and praying for the Spirit's blessing on it. He shows us what it's like to resist the temptation of the evil one by quoting the word in Matthew 4. He shows us what it's like to submit to God's will even when we would rather not. He shows us what it's like to cling to God's word even in the midst of suffering and to not forget his commands. The royal king of Psalm 119 is our model. And more than that, he is also the one who embodies this word, who our our hearts say, I love your law, O Lord, your words are sweet to my taste because those words speak of him. Mention how the very language of of verses 96 to 104 makes us think of of the Song of Songs. That's because the word in which Psalm 119 is delighting is about Christ, the same bridegroom of that psalm, or of the Song of Songs. This psalm speaks of the word. John 1.1 tells us Christ is the word. This psalm speaks of the way. John 14.6 tells us Christ is the way. He is the one in whom we delight as we sing this psalm. And as we do, beholding him who is worthy of our delight, beholding him who is better than riches and sweeter than honey, we are are given the very help for which question 124 prays. The very help that we need to delight in God's will and do it. We behold the Christ who embodies Psalm 119 in both its call to obedience and its revelation of the word and will of God and our hearts and mouths are brought to desire him such that they would be put out of taste for doing our own will. Matthew Henry said that when we are tempted to cling to our own will of which this Lord's Day speaks, we need our mouths to be put out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. 
And the way the Spirit does this is by filling us with the joy of the Lord as we look to his life-giving word which reveals his Son. Thomas Chalmers said the way to disengage our hearts from the love of sin and the love of idols is to address to the mental eye the excellence and worth of something greater. Psalm 119 is calling us to delight in that something greater and that something or someone is Christ. Boys and girls, the reason that we need to delight in the word and will of God is because that word reveals Jesus. And the only way to renounce our own wills and obey the will of God is by seeing the beauty of this one who is better than thousands of coins of gold and silver, whose words are sweeter than honey, who is altogether perfect. And then praying this psalm with him as he's taught us, Lord, teach us your will. Let it be done in us as it is in heaven. Amen. Our Father in heaven, we pray that you would help us to be doers of your will, that you would help us to delight in Christ who has done your will for us. And as we see him on on every page of your word to say, oh, how I love your law because it shows me your son. And Father, as we see his excellence and his beauty unfolded throughout the pages of this word in which Psalm 119 delights. We pray that you would help us to renounce our own wills for Jesus' sake, even being willing as we pray this psalm in him and with him, even being willing to share in his suffering, that same suffering that we see in this psalm for those who delight in your will and seek to do it, that same suffering that we saw this morning in Job and in the one to whom Job points, Christ, and in all those who are united to Christ by faith. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name.